The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Scripture reading for today is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. If you're using the Bibles underneath your chairs, it's on page 557. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, for, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he said to them, and he, set, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen went, when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they re- rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Morning, guys. So nice to hear friendly hello this morning. We have news. I don't know if uh, how many people know or not, but we have a, uh, a new couple, well, not really a new couple, but a newly engaged couple sitting up on the front row. Tyson realized uh, that he could not do any better than Grace, and he locked her in last night, and uh, down at, uh, I'm sure it was romantic, at Brook Green Garden, the Night of the Thousand Candles. Show everybody your ring. Listen, just to show it up, yeah. Isn't that cool, guys? We love... Uh, Love people get married, love people have babies, and people seem to be doing that in our little church, and so we'll grow one way or the other. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you for uh, 
this morning. I thank you for this group of people that I love very much. I thank you for your word. God, we are hungry and we are needy. God, some of us aren't even aware of how hungry we are. Uh, we are, but at the base of who we are, we are starving for you. We're starving to hear from you. Uh, I am this morning. So Father, I pray that you would speak to me this morning through your word, that you would speak to us through your word, not through me, but through it. Father, I pray that the truths there, the principles there uh, would uh, find good ground in our heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each person who is here. Uh, there are those that are here that uh, have never placed our faith and trust in you as their savior. And Father, I pray that for those that they would be reborn this morning, that this Christmas season 2015 would be uh, doubly and triply uh, precious to them as they go forward, as they remember it being uh, not only time that we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we, that they would celebrate their own rebirth itself. May God us, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not generally a big fan of reality TV. In fact, just kind of editorial comment, I think it's dumbing us down as a country, but that's a whole other rant I won't go on. Uh, but uh, I'm not a, generally a big fan of it, but like all of us who say that we're not into it, but we end up getting caught up into it and watching it when you're kind of flipping around, or maybe it's your secret little uh, you know, guilty pleasure that you have. Uh, I, w- I was flipping around uh, one night, uh, Megan and I, and there was a show called The Prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. Anybody seen that on CNBC? Yeah, there's a guy named, uh, what's his name? Marcus Limonis. Am I saying that correctly? Marcus Limonis. And apparently, this guy, he's like a serial entrepreneur. Everything he puts his hand to, it just like succeeds. He was under the age of 40. He had uh, started, I think started his own RV dealership. And it grew to the point like he merged it with Camping World, which is a giant thing. There's like two locations here in the area of Camping World. And then he bought uh, the Good Sam Club, which had been around forever. And, and he like got his hands on lots of little tiny businesses. And the, the premise of the show is uh, he goes around to small businesses that are struggling. And he comes in, he kind of views how things are going. And then he offers them like sorely needed capital in order for them to kind of uh, get their feet underneath them or to expand or to just kind of fix what's wrong. But in exchange, he gets uh, part ownership of the, of the company. And he, he gets to either call all the shots or call a certain number of the shots. And so the premise of the show is like him coming in these businesses and having these conversations with them. And Megan and I watched a couple of episodes and, and I found a couple of things interesting. One is these, these small business owners know they're in need. That's why they put their names up for this show. Uh, They know that this Lamonis guy is a business guru who has experience and money and resources to help them go to the next level. So both these truths, they know. And we know that as viewers watching the show. But when he comes in and he sees the way things are going, he has always has one hard conversation with the business owner, where he lays out to them, here's what you're doing wrong, and I'll invest X amount of money, and you'll give me this amount of ownership, and we're gonna change the way that you do things. And that conversation is fascinating to me, because you see them either reject him or come this close to rejecting him. I love looking at the, some of the series history because I'm a geek about this kind of stuff when I get into something. And series one, he had more people turn him down than took him up on the offer. 
the season three, I guess, where people started to know who he was, it was almost evenly split between the people who took him up on the offer and people who turned him down. Think about that. They're coming into the show knowing, I need help. This guy offers help to them, but they cannot stomach changing the bad things that they're doing in order to make the change to the next level. See, good news can sometimes be disruptive. Sometimes you hear the good news and you just can't stomach leaving the old and turning to the new. Because the old is familiar, the old is comfortable. The, you got to the place, these, the business owners got to the place they were in because it was comfortable and they understood what was going on. In order to make the next to make the step to the next level, they were going to have to change. And sometimes we can't bring ourselves to accept that we need to change. See, we normally think about Christmas in terms of think about the words that we use. We peace and hope and joy. Our whole series this month is about joy, joy to the world, peace, hope. Uh, joy, we talk about lights, we, it's all these beautiful pictures. We think about the Christmas songs that we sing. It's all about, you know, beautiful, peaceful nights and a cute little baby comes. In fact, we can't even stomach to, to think of it being disruptive at all. In a way to the manger, we say, no crying he makes, which I'm gonna be honest with you, I, I think that's a bunch of bull. <laughs> but in this passage that Becca read for us this morning, what we see is that that peace and joy and hope and love, the good news of Christmas, which we just get warm, cuddling, we wanna light a candle and drink some hot cocoa around the twinkling tree, is also news that is disruptive and threatening to who we are. Because see, when a new king shows up, it's like a large boulder falling in a lake. It displaces a lot of water. And it doesn't drop silently, it drops suddenly, and it drops violently. And the water that it displaces is displaced quickly and in a violent manner, and it has rippling effects across the whole entire lake. Let every heart prepare him room. That's the phrase from the song. Let every heart prepare him room. That simple phrase has deep and personal meaning for each one of us that are here in this room. This morning, we're gonna see that preparing him room means three, at least three things. It means, one, it means rejecting our broken known. That's quotation marks. Preparing him rooms means responding to God's initiating which leads to finding our joy in his reign. It means three things, rejecting our broken known, responding to God's initiating, which leads to finding our joy in his reign. First of all, it means preparing, preparing room means displacing our broken known. Think about the three sets of characters that we have in our text this morning. We have the wise men, which we talked a lot about last week. We have Herod, and we have Joseph and Mary. Now, the wise men, as we covered last week, so I'll go over this pretty quickly, the wise men were Gentiles. They were not Jews. They did not believe in the one true God. 
And yet somehow, and we don't know how it happened, they were watching the stars, so they were astrologers, which is not kosher with God, which is a whole kind of another crazy rabbit trail we could run down and say, what was God doing? Somehow, they're watching the stars and they see the star rise or something rise in the east and they say, that means that the king of the Jews has been born. And not just the king of the Jews, like, oh, isn't that interesting, but some, some type of king who was worthy of them leaving their foreign land, their, comfortable, their comfortability, leaving their area of, uh, of, uh, of power, leaving the area of influence, leaving the area of comfort. They're leaving their families and traveling far to come not only see him, but to worship this baby, to pay homage to him and give gifts to him befitting a king. And, then, and when you see how, how do they respond to the king that's coming, they respond with eagerness. And whenever they get to the land and they talk to Herod and they say, hey, where is he gonna be born? And Herod asks his wise men and his wise men say he's supposed to be in Bethlehem. They leave there and it says they saw the star again when they left Jerusalem and they're heading to Bethlehem. They saw the star again and it says they rejoiced exceedingly. One commentary I read said, uh, it might be a little bit of overkill to say they rejoiced deliriously, but it's something close to that. These wise men who had traveled far and were getting ready to, to give a great amount of, of wealth to this baby, this peasant baby, when they saw the light that was gonna take them somehow. We don't even know how it was. It was gonna guide them to the baby from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. They rejoiced nearly deliriously. But then we see Herod. Herod was an Edomite. He'd been placed in control of uh, the of Judea a few years before this, and Herod was a pretty bad dude. Uh, Herod, at one point, killed one of his wives because she was getting on his nerves. He killed three of his he killed three of his sons because he felt threatened by them. He at one point killed three hundred people at one time. Actually, whenever he came into office, if I'm remembering this correctly, when he came into office, he turned around and killed 300 people at one time so that it wouldn't be potential threats. And the prior line of kings before him, he killed them all just to wipe them out and he wouldn't have any threats at all. Whenever he was getting ready to die, he ordered that there would be dozens of his uh, of his most trusted advisors, his most important regents, his right-hand men, that they would all be quartered in this one building, and at the moment that he died, they were to be killed as well. Now, the people who were supposed to do it, they backed out at the last minute. They said, he's dead. We're not going to follow his rules anymore, but that's the kind of dude he was. He was a dude that was hungry for power. And whenever he heard this Edomite who had been placed over the Jews, whenever he heard that this possible king had been born, the reaction that he had was to be threatened by it. So much so that he ends up by the end of this when he figures out the wise men have tricked him that he orders, verse 16, when Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. That's how Sure, he wanted to be that he had put this aside. Now, just for your own kind of 
record keeping. That would, Bethlehem was a small town. The region around it was a very small town. That would probably be about maybe 20 or 30 babies. It's still a lot, but it's about 20 or 30 babies. Just to think about that. This grown man, this king who was ensconced in his throne, he had been appointed by Rome, who should not have felt any sort of a threat from a peasant baby born in Bethlehem. He was so threatened by this birth the possibility that they could be a king, that he ordered little babies two years and under to be killed. And then we look at the response of Joseph and Mary. And this is something that's been standing out to me all Christmas season as I've been thinking about the story. Uh, every, every person involved in the Christmas story, that what we call the Christmas story, every single person, Jesus coming changed their entire life. Mary, and we touched on this last week and the week before, Mary, who was a young virgin in good standing, all of a sudden she shows up pregnant and it's not by the man she's betrothed to. Already she shouldn't be pregnant because they're not supposed to uh, have marital relations until the, the marriage is actually done. So that would already be a loose woman in their society. But then, Mo, then Joseph finds out that she's pregnant and he is thrown off by this. This Mary, this good girl, who knows, like she's had an angel appear to her and say, this is Jesus, this is the coming savior of the world. He's gonna save your people. Yet she knows that the rest of her life, she's possibly gonna be known by friends and family and neighbors as that loose girl. And being a loose girl in Jewish society, which was a shame-based society, you don't wanna bring shame upon your family name. To bring shame upon your father and upon your mother is the, the worst thing that could happen in that society. And so she is thinking that she might have to be an outsider the rest of her life. She may have been, we don't know. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Joseph, who is an upstanding man, whenever he hears about Mary who somehow loose and she got pregnant, he says, I'm gonna take the high road because he could have had her pulled out into the village square and stoned to death. He says, I'm gonna put her away quietly and silently and I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna take the high road. That's the decision that he makes to put her aside silently. But then God comes to him and speaks to him and says, no, this is my son. This is the one I'm sending to save the world. This is Emmanuel that's coming. And Joseph has to make a decision at this point. Now, you kind of feel like there's no other decision he can make. I mean, an angel appeared to him. God has told him this is the one. But think about what he's, what he's thinking about, what he's, what he's dealing with at that moment when he wakes up from that dream and he's thinking about what he has to do. He's thinking, I'm gonna be the man that marries that loose woman. I'm gonna be the man who's gonna be a stepdad or the people around us are gonna view me as a stepdad to this illegitimate child. He knows it's gonna have a cost on the rest of his life. And not only does it have a cost in that way, but we see in this passage that when Herod when, is getting ready to kill the babies, God warns Joseph in another dream and they have to flee their homeland and become exiles in a distant country in Egypt. where They wouldn't have known people. He wouldn't have been from Nazareth, but he had the trade to be a carpenter. They have to go there and flee and be refugees, by the way. Just political side note. Became refugees 
in Egypt alone. It had a cost for him. It had a cost for Mary. It had a cost for Herod. It had a cost for the wise men. But Herod, to him, this news that should have been good news, he was, it's interesting. I mentioned this last week, but Herod's own wise men, Herod's own wise men, whenever he asked them, what, is he, what, are these, what are these magi, what are these wise men who are from the east, who are Gentiles, what are they talking about with this one who's supposed to be born? Is that true? And they said, yes, he should be born in Bethlehem. And Herod doesn't respond to even go see for himself because he's threatened. When the king shows up, his reign touches that tender place in our hearts. That place where we think about his coming is peace and joy. Whenever he comes, his coming, his reign will touch us at a tender place. But we have to judge, how am I gonna respond? Is my broken norm, my broken known, the life that I live, the, the brokenness of my own life, like, like, those, like those business owners that Marcus comes in and meets with on that show and, and they sit down and he says, I will invest in your company, but you have to change the bad practices that you have. And this is what you have to do. And if you do, do this, you will go to the next level. I will be here with you because I'm invest. I'm not just giving you some money and going away. I'm investing in your company. They just can't stomach the change because the broken known, the broken norm is too costly for them to let go. When Jesus shows up, that peaceful baby that we see in the manger, when we really think about his coming as the king, it threatens those tender places in us. Why would we not want to repent Prepare him room. First of all, we might not want to prepare him room because it brings uncertainty. Think about this with Herod. He hears about this news of this baby who was born, the potential king of the Jews. And Herod goes in some sort of a panic, even though he has all the power and this baby is simply a peasant. There's nobody. He goes into a panic because he can't stomach the uncertainty of what may happen. And I wonder if you and I can find ourselves in that place this morning. Because if we're talking about joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room. If the king has come, that means he is the one who rules and reigns. He's the one who call, who's supposed to call the shots in our life. He's the one supposed to be, to be determining what we determine as valuable and not valuable. And if that's true, if, if we are to accept that personally, if you and I are to accept that personally, it brings uncertainty. What is that gonna look like in my life? Because this broken norm is so is so, I'm so familiar with it. These bad habits, these sinful habits, this, this habit of lust, this habit of anger, this habit of, of, uh, of fooling around on my wife, these, this habit of stealing from my company, this habit of determining my own way to, to deciding what is right for myself. That is so, we understand those worlds. 
When you, feel, when you get home and you feel beat down by your day and it's just a lot easier to cut on the porn than to actually do anything else. When you and your wife or you and your husband are not seeing eye to eye and it's just a lot easier to disengage with each other and just live as common tenants in the same household. When we read in scripture, we know like I need to change my life in regards to what he has called, what in, in accordance with scripture whenever I see that. And it knocks up against those tender places in my life. The first thing I think about, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if, what the world will look like on the other side. But here's the question. It may bring, his reign may bring uncertainty to your life and my life, but is certainty of failure any better? Because here's what's true. We all die. And Herod may have been king and he may have been in control and he may have put all his resources into solidifying his power and control so he had no real known threat to the time but he was not gonna be king forever. His rule was going to end. And we are all, none of us are immortal. We're all facing a life that ends at some point on this earth. And is certainty of failure any better than facing uncertainty? Or here's another question. Some of us in this room, we're not really happy with our life. We're not really happy with who we've become. We know we have these strongholds of sin that are in our life. We know that our marriage is not healthy. We know that our relationships with our friends is not healthy. We know we're going down paths that are going to end in destruction. Or maybe we're in uh, repeating cycles of destruction and recovery, destruction and recovery. And you, you and I know if we look to the end, we know this does not end well. And yet sometimes we fool ourselves in thinking that to follow him is uncertain, but to follow our path is certain, but it is certain. It ends in certain disappointment and failure. Herod didn't want to prepare him room because the thought of there being another king or a potential king brought uncertainty. Can we do the same thing? Why would we not want to prepare him room? Because it means a lack of control. Maybe you aren't like me and aren't a control freak. I have difficulty... Uh, I had difficulty riding in a car, uh, or, you know, with my wife. It's but with anybody else, and I and, and I feel this also when I when I drive with Dale. Uh, when, when I when I'm when I'm driving, uh, Dale is checking all the mirrors for me, even though he's sitting in the passenger seat. When I turn the the the, the lane switch on, like the, the turn signal, I'm going to change lanes. He's he's got his head on a swivel. He's checking behind me, make sure I'm not going to wreck on somebody. 
He's watching, I can see, I can see the corner of my eye at times. He's watching the speed limit and my speedometer. He is aware of what is going on around me. I'm not saying he's a control freak. And I do the same thing. I do it with my wife and I do it with others. I do it with others whenever like, uh, I'm trying to show somebody something on a computer and they're just not doing it fast enough or the right way. I do it here on Sunday mornings when we're setting up the uh, the drapes and the stuff around, and uh, there's a seam on one side, and there's not a seam on the other, and somebody will put up the drapes, which I appreciate, and then I walk by, but the seam is facing out, and I, gotta, I have got to, to pull it down and turn it around. I can be a little bit of a control freak. Maybe you're not like that, but I would venture to say at least some of us in this room are. To think about turning the steering wheel of our life over to somebody else is absolutely threatening to us. It brings a panic of fear upon us to not be in control. But here's the thing. Any sense of control that you and I have of our life is a false sense of control. You and I don't control anything, really. Maybe you have scrimped and saved and worked hard and you've built up a giant bank account. Even that can fail. The banking system can fail, as Jonathan will be glad to tell you. The stock, the stock market could fail. I know, of a couple, I know of a couple down in the south end, uh, not anybody in this room, but I know of a couple in the south end who got scared by some of this blood moon stuff and they pulled all their money out of their bank accounts and actually buried it in their backyard. Guess what? Even there, it's not safe. There is no, nothing that you have ultimate control of in your life. And any sense that you and I have of control is only an illusion. There is only one who is in control. It's the king. Why would we not want to prepare him room? Because it's too costly. For Herod, he looked around and he, as he heard this news about this possible king of the Jews who was born in Bethlehem, it appeared too costly to him to even investigate it further. He couldn't go in person to see this baby because the thought of it even being possibly true was just too much for him. It was too much to sacrifice. And you and I do that the same. God's call upon our life to follow him in obedience can feel too costly, like we have to give up too much. But how, how do we prepare him room? First of all, it means being honest about our brokenness with God. It means taking a moment or moments or days or weeks to truly and honestly confess to God our brokenness those areas of your life that are, you're caught in sin, those areas in your life where you don't, you're, you're not in alignment with what God has called you to do, those areas in your life that you're disappointed or you're, excuse me, that you're depressed about, those areas of your life that you're just like, this is not right. It means 
owning that and being honest with God about that, being real with him about that. It also means being honest about our brokenness with each other. You and I think that we live, maybe not everybody in this room, but most of us in this room, we think that we live in a beautiful illusion. Because only you, or maybe your spouse, really knows how messed up you are. But we put up this front around the people around us to make people think that we're doing all right. And Facebook and Instagram make it really easy to do this to people who are outside our arm's length. People look at our Facebook feed, or our Twitter feed, or our Instagram feed, and they see beautifully staged and crafted moments with you and your family peacefully around the table with a beautifully set table. Why in the world do we have, and this, if you do this, no problem, but I'm just saying, I've done it, but why do we have to tweet the, those days that we have a wonderful, quiet time with God and there's steam rising from our coffee and the Bible open and the sun rise or sunset in the background? We're not tweeting all the five, six days before that that we missed. We paint a better, clearer, nicer, cleaner picture of our, what our life is really like to the people around us. Because we're afraid if they really know, we're gonna be exposed. The truth is, that is, that is the, if the first step to uh, the reign of God being uh, Realizing its fullness in your life is confessing your brokenness and your darkness to God. The second step is confessing it to your friends and the people around you. People who can know right where you are. You own it with the people around you. This is where I am. I'm depressed. This is where I am. I'm disappointed with my life. This is where I am. I'm having trouble following God in this area. I know he is calling me to obey him and I just can't bring myself to do it. Owning that with each other. And it means waiting. Here's an interesting theme of Advent. Advent means waiting. Advent means waiting for the coming of the Lord. It means knowing that we can't fix ourselves. So we wait. For him to come, which makes the second point beautiful that we see in this passage. Preparing him room means responding to God's initiating. What will we do if we're trapped in our own darkness and we're unwilling and unable to change? We're depressed, we're disappointed, our life isn't working out the way I had hoped. I'm caught up in this sin and I can't get out of this cycle. That's the good news of Advent. That's the good news of Christmas for us this morning, that God isn't waiting around saying, when you turn around, I'll be there. That's not what God's message is to you. You guys ever heard the, the, and it's true to some extent, but have you ever heard the phrase, like, if you've walked 10,000 steps from God, he's only one step back? Well, that's true, but yet it's also not true. Because God isn't one step behind us. God came for us. God initiated his love 
to us when we were lost in our own personal darkness. He didn't just come to our darkness in general. He came to you and me in our personal darkness. That's the story of Advent. That's the story of Christmas. When we hear about the baby who came, when Herod heard about it, when Joseph and Mary were involved in it, when the wise men heard about it, he didn't just come to darkness in general. He came to you and I in our personal darkness. All the experiences that you've had. And some of us have had some horrific experiences. Some of you have been mishandled and mistreated. Some of you have been abused and it has shaped your life. And you feel trapped by that abuse that has happened in the past. You just can't seem to come out of it. All the things that you have done, all the things that you're doing, all your fears of the future, all the things that you will do, he came to us. He came to you there in your personal darkness. He came for you and he is coming for you at this very moment. That is the good news of Christmas. Your rescuer has come. Here's the good news. Your future self who, who are you gonna be five years from now, 10 years from now? Your future self is not dependent upon your ability. Your future self is dependent upon Christ coming to you to change you and to rescue you. See, you can't drop the broken. Sort of like a kid who, you guys know the story, like the kid who put his hand in the cookie jar and, and he couldn't get it out until he let, until they let go of the too many cookies. Well, it's also true, like, if, if, you got, if you got the broken in your hand, you can't receive the whole until you let it go. And you and I aren't able to change ourselves and just to let the broken in our lives go. It has to be replaced by something else. But once you see that Jesus Christ came for you and he is coming for you, and that is the story of Advent, that is the story of Christmas, then there's great assurance for you. Because you see, he initiated it. He started it. It's sort of like that awkward moment whenever you're, uh, you're on a date. The last time I was on a date was a long, long time ago. I've been married for a while. But you're an awkward moment where you're on a date and you're sitting there with the other person and you think they're interested but you're not sure if they're interested. And you think you'd like to go in for a kiss but you're not sure if, if they're into going under the kiss. And like, you're, you're wondering like, who's gonna make the movement here? Like, I, I feel like something's happening here but is this the right moment or am I misreading this moment? But then when the one moves to the other and got to pucker lips, then you know, I'm getting the, the flag, come in. They initiate the kiss, this thing is gonna end well. Well, it might end awkwardly, but it's going, like, we're both going in for the same thing. I know they're waving me in now. And that's the good, that's the good news this morning for you and I in Christmas. He initiated it. He's waving you in to the end. You can change your future, can be better than the past. You can grow. He can come and change you, your brokenness in you, the, uh, the pain that you have from your past abuse, the broken cycle that you're in that you can't seem to get out of. He is committed to you because he started it. Do you want to change? And that's the kind of thing that can change you you see that he started it. God, we can prepare room. It means to displace our broken known. Preparing room means responding to God's initiating. And then lastly, 
Preparing him room means finding our joy in his reign. You see, the news that's threatening to Herod is good news to the wise men and to Mary and Joseph. And here's my theory why. Herod had the most to lose. If this baby who had been born was to be king, then Herod had everything to lose. And the possible Messiah coming to save his people, God's sent one, God's anointed one, come to save his people, Herod would rather have killed that possibility than to lose his place on the throne. But Mary and Joseph and the wise men had nothing to lose. Particularly Mary. When you think about it as well, her cousin Elizabeth who had John, they had nothing to lose. In Jewish society, a woman was nearly chattel. So when God comes to them and says, there's a king that's coming, and you get to be a part of that, they rejoiced. Because they had nothing to lose while Herod did. And here's the good news to you. You don't have to rule your own kangaroo court kingdom anymore. The kingdom that you and I think that we're in charge of, but yet it's always broken and fallen apart. The king, the true king has come. And if we realize that our broken known is not worth holding onto any longer, and the truth of the king has come and he's come to reign in grace. He's come to reign in mercy. He's come to reign in love. He's come to reign in justice. He's come to reign in righteousness. That news is now, can be good news to you and I. That's the kind of king that's not only worthy to serve, but it's the kind of king who's worthy to worship. It's the kind of king whose love for us and our love back to him can be the kind of thing that can replace are broken, known, that can cause us to let go of those things. So they're coming right on the, around in the middle of it, right? In the coming, what is it, 12 days before Christmas? In the coming 12 days, let's let each tree, each light, each decoration, each cheesy song, Let everything that you see that's related to Christmas remind you this morning that light has come to darkness. And to remind you and I that the only response that makes sense is to prepare him room. Preparing room for the king It's more painful than we expect because we see the baby come and it's like cute and cuddly and it's nice. But whenever it starts to hit our reality, it can be painful. It can be more painful than we expect, but more joyful than we can ever imagine. And we accept and surrender to the rule and reign of the king who has come we find our joy in his reign. I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna come up. It's been a, just a, about a minute, minute and a half uh, while they play and reflection.
maybe thinking about certain areas of our life that uh, full of brokenness, full of disobedience, full of, uh, of disappointment, of maybe we're in the midst of depression, maybe we're in the midst of, uh, we still have not recovered from abuse of the past. And I'm not saying that will come in this moment. Let us reflect on the fact that he has come to us. He has initiated it to us. His light has come to our darkness. Let's ask him to help us to find joy in his reign this morning. Let's pray. Fathers, we uh, gather this morning in the midst of this Christmas season. There's a lot of busyness going on. There's a lot of... a lot of stuff to think about. I got some of us, Christmas is exciting and beautiful, and some of us, it is uh, disappointing. Some of us, it, uh, it brings dread. God, I pray for each of us this morning, and wherever we are, that you would reveal to us how you came light to our darkness. We would see that preparing you room, responding to you as king, to your initiating love towards us, is the only thing that makes sense and the only thing that brings lasting joy. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.